and tries to make you hide whispers the same old lie keep all your pain inside cause no one will understand last thing this lost world needs is someone they're trying to be the truth that has set me free that I am a broken man Jesus, showing my scars, telling my story, how mercy can reach you where you are. I pray the whole world hear the cry of my heart to see all the ones I love, loving my Jesus. said and done when my last song's been sung I stand face to face with the one who gave it all to me may all I have to show to be all that matters most make all your great name known let this be my legacy loving my Jesus Showing my scars, telling my story, how mercy can reach you where you are. I pray the whole world hears the cry of my heart to see all the ones I love, the ones I love, loving my Jesus. lot of good musicians around here just like every time I come there's another one it's just like man we we're good we don't fall short in those so hello my name's Nick I'm an alcoholic and this is when you say hi Nick that's what that's what they say in those meetings um, Andy gave me the opportunity to share a little bit about my story about how I come to know Jesus and how God's worked in my life and I was just excited because anybody that knows me knows that there's not anything I like to talk about more than God. And Andy said, how about you come up here and give your testimony for about 10 minutes this weekend? And I thought 10 minutes is like dumping a bag of candy and uh, candy corn in front of a kid and saying, here, you can have one or two of those, <laughs> you know. But I'm going to do my best to tell you some stuff about how God's worked in my life. Um, and and has taken a hopeless dope fiend and turned him into a dopest hope fiend um, and has just turned my world upside down. So I'm sure nobody in this room knows anybody that deals with addiction or alcoholism, right? Nobody knows anybody like that. Um, you know, um, there's a, I, th I think there's one in just about every family almost, or at least one in every other family that deals with it. It's, it's kind of really just taken over our nation, and there's a lot of it. So I was one of those people. Um, when I reached about the age of 14, I kind of fell into a deep depression and was just looking for something to make that go away, and I found it in drugs and alcohol. And I started using um, just to try to make the pain go away and was just looking for something. Um, and it's great how God came into my life and used this church to change that. Um, so I started off kind of a moderate user, got into college and got to be a hard user, and got uh, further on in my life just becoming a full-on, um, you know, maybe the word junkie, I don't know. Um, but it got, it got real bad for me, and, and uh, you know, um, there was a, a night where I was at my house by myself, um, and life had just gotten so bad, 
I was ready to go get my 12 gauge and I was ready to pull the trigger. And um, that night in my house, um, I like to say I was broke, busted, disgusted, and couldn't be trusted. Um, tore up from the floor up, needed a check up from the neck up. And I call it the gift of desperation. Um, I was desperate. I used to say I was an atheist, but when I look back now, I know that what I really was was a super upset agnostic. And subconsciously, I knew there was something else out there. And I said, God, if you're real, I need you. And immediately, I knew I was saved. He reached down, he touched me, and he saved me and pulled me out of the darkness. Salvation happened just like that. Um, and and that's, that's what it was for me. So the salvation part happens, and then there's this growth that starts taking place that they call, call it sanctification. And that's not overnight, and that doesn't take long. So anybody that's ever been through that part where they've been saved, and you're like me, immediately the first thing you want to do is go tell the whole world about it, and you're on fire. And here I was, this guy that was soon to find out that there was a time where I wanted God's power to do my will. And it, it quickly changed to where I wanted to do God's will now, but I was still trying to do it on my power. And I was still using, I couldn't stop using, and I couldn't, I didn't know why. So I'm going to family and friends and telling them that they need Jesus and they're looking at me like I'm crazy because they know I'm still using. Well, have you lost your mind? You know, and it was real discouraging. We go through this, we go through these times where we deal with rejection and we tell ourselves what we are and we try to define ourselves by ourselves. And it gets really, really tiresome with rejection. And I remember one night that I was in my house. I couldn't quit using. I was struggling with changing the way I was living. Um, and I, I prayed to God. I said, God, I just don't think this is doing any good for me to go out and tell about you. I had this neighbor that he knew I was struggling, and I couldn't hardly make it to work on time. I couldn't get up on time to do the things I was supposed to do, and he'd just come over and mow my yard. He was a Christian. And he gave me a Bible one day, and he says, now that you're saved, you probably need to start reading this. And he gave me this New Living Translation Bible, and I started reading it. And, man, I just wanted to tell everybody about what it said. But I couldn't, I couldn't quit using it. I was still stuck in this thing. I'd been doing it so long, I'd formed this habit, but I just couldn't break. And I didn't have the power to do that on my own. And so... Um, I realized that this has got to be something that uh, if I'm going to do God's divine will, I can only do it with his divine power. And I couldn't do it on my own power. Because then what? Then I could take some of the glory, right? Uh, we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. This is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man boast. I can't boast about this. I've got to give him credit for everything he's done in my life. To transform me into what I am today. So that night I was praying, saying, God, I just don't think, you know, I'm reading your word and it says in your great commission we're supposed to take your word to all the corners of the earth. I'm supposed to tell everybody about this. I don't think this is what you want me to do because I'm damaging your name. It's just humiliating for me to tell about you. I don't deserve to be able to tell about you. That's not right of me to do. I'm not worthy to tell about your name. I had a dream that night when I went to sleep, and it was there was this dream that I had when I was a kid, and I'd get dropped off at school by my mom or ride the bus with to school, and I would walk into the school, and I'd get into the cafeteria in the morning just to look down to realize, oh my gosh, how did I forget to put my pants on today? And I could never make it home. Uh, I would be trying to hide, and I never made it out of the school. I would wake up, and I would say, 
oh, thank goodness, that was only a dream. That would have been so terrible. And I hadn't had that dream in a long time. And I had a dream that night. I was in a park. And I'm walking through this park, and there's this festival going on. And they're selling arts and crafts. And there's all these people, uh, all these people there. And I'm walking through this park, and I look down. It had been a lot of years since I had this dream. And this was just in the time where I was experiencing all this rejection and, and just, you know, the humiliating feeling of being who I am and not being able to change it, not having the power to change it, even though I wanted to. And I looked down and said, oh, no, this again. And when I looked up, there was about just as many people as that are here today standing all of a sudden, they're standing in front of me, just looking at me in disgust. I can't believe this guy would come like that. What? This is this is absurd. A guy would come to a park with all these people and not have his pants down. And all I could think is, if any of these people were any decent, somebody could just bring me a pair of pants right now. <laughs> and nobody brought me a pair of pants. And... In that moment of humility, I think God was working on me, and I just looked back at him, and all I could think of is this, it's just who I am, you're just going to have to take it, and I just went like this, and they kind of looked in amazement, and they turned around, and I didn't know why they were walking off, but I thought, good, nobody's looking at me like that anymore, and when I started walking down the sidewalk, I looked down, and I had pants on. And I woke up, and that was the first time that had ever happened when I had that dream. So when I woke up, I said, yes, Lord, I'll talk about you. I didn't really know that's what it meant. I just wanted it to mean that, yeah, I want you to talk about me. I still wondered if that's really what it meant. So we had this Bible study out at Jeff Clark's house that I was going to at 6 o'clock on Saturdays. And... I thought, one of the most honest guys I know, Todd Lason, I'll just ask him about it. And Todd, you might remember it, I don't know, but I told him about that, and, and he gave me about the most honest answer anyone could. He said, Nick, I don't know. I, I, you know, and I thought, well, I don't, I don't really either. But I knew what I wanted it to mean. So I had a friend, his name's, his name's Ricky, and when I was in my addiction and I was preaching the Bible nobody really wanted to hear somebody like me talk about Jesus and there was this one friend that would hang around with me and he would listen to whatever I said and it wasn't because he really wanted to hear the Bible and he'd come to church with me and it wasn't really because he wanted to go to church he just wanted somebody that would hang out with him and uh, one night and there's lots of people that tried to speak this into my life a lot uh, but one night he just said Nick, you're one of the best guys I know, but when you're, when you're using that stuff, you're not the same person. And it just hit me. And I thought, if I'm going to go preaching the Word of God, um, I can't just preach it and not do it. This is just not going to work. I've got to do what it says. I know today that we don't think ourselves into a new way of living, but we live ourselves into a new way of thinking. And when we start doing what the Word of God tells us to do, He'll change our lives. And that's what happened to me. I was reading in the book of James, and it said, if you're sick, go tell the elders and they'll pray for you. And that's what I did. And I come, I said, all right, Rick, that's what it says, you know, so I'll do that. And he said, you probably should, you know. And so the next day, I come out, and there were some missionaries in this church, and they were in from Brazil, and they were telling their testimony and about how things were going on their mission trip. And everyone was busy, and I thought, I can't just, you know, I'm not going to pull the elders together today. And I was just coming up with any excuse once it got down to it to, to not say it. And um, I'd been up for a long time. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, but sometimes when you're using that stuff, I'd stay up four, five, six days at a time and not even sleep. And I'd been up for a while. And we were having a potluck back there 
And when I went in there and I got just enough food just so everyone would think I was eating something. Um, but I really wasn't that hungry. And I sat down, and when I sat down, one of the elders sat down across the table from me, and then another one of the elders sat down across the table from me, and then our pastor, Mike Jones, at the time, sat down at the cross from me, and another elder sat down, and I thought, well, you just can't run from God. <laughs> this, is, this is really true. And I ended up telling him, this is what's going on, um, and I, and I got to have some help. And that's when Jay Evans said, Nick, do you want help? And then I thought, oh, no, what did I do now? Now they're going to want me to go to the crazy den or want me to go somewhere. And, and that's what needed to happen was I needed to get some help. But I didn't know there was help out there like there was. So I had no other choice. I said, yeah, Jay, I got to do whatever I got to do. And he sat there and just loved on me and prayed and prayed with me for a couple hours and I was real 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 depressed and and I needed I needed that I needed it so bad and it, and it's hard to reach out and help somebody with this problem because it's so messy it's such a messy ministry and he said I don't want you to go home you need to come stay at my house it's not safe for you to go home and you need to come stay at my house so we can get you some help and I couldn't, I'd lived, I'd lived around this area my whole life, and I couldn't even remember the directions he told me to get to his house, and that's, that's how far off I was, and um, so I did, and I came, and he knew about this place in Springfield that was a year program that was faith-based, and I said, well, let's go, well, why don't you send me to somewhere that's not faith-based, that way I can get sober and tell people about God in the same area. And he said, no, that's not a good idea. You need something that's faith-based. When I got there, I realized there's a lot of people that were here that weren't like me um, that didn't want to go get some help, and they needed someone to preach the word to them anyways. And I thought, this isn't the place for me. I'm not like these people. I'm not like these people. I'm looking for help. These people are just looking for the the next place they can sleep tonight and what the guys in prison call it is three hots and a cot um, to sleep for a while and and so I found myself ministering to some of these guys in this program and I'd been there for almost a month and decided this this isn't where I need to be I need to just I need to just go back home and try it again I was getting ready to call my little brother to come pick me up in Springfield and bring me back home when I looked up while I was at the center where we go for classes and stuff every day, and there was a sign back by our thrift store, and it said, you needed clothes, and I clothed you. And I knew right then that that's where God wanted me to minister his word to these broken people that needed it just like I did. So I'm so blessed with the opportunity of being able to talk about God and minister the gospel to people who sometimes still want to reject it, but they, they know they're going to hear about God when they come to our program. I didn't know it when I was talking to Andy about sharing my testimony. I said, well, I can't do it this week because I'm traveling. I can't do it next week because we've got our picnic and our baptisms going on. And, and But this week will work in I'm such an airhead, it didn't even dawn on me. Today is the, the exact day that I got sober five years ago. And it's been five years since I've gotten sober, and I'm still in that program. And I run an intake house now, and I get to tell people about what Christ will do for him. Christ, God is not in the business of keeping people sober. And the reason I know that is because he's perfect at everything he does. If that was the business he was in, there wouldn't be a single person on the planet that was high or drunk. But he will come into someone's heart. He doesn't use drugs. If you know somebody that's struggling with alcoholism or addiction, and you know that what they need is Jesus... It's sometimes 
it's just a little bit scary to reach out because you know, man, this is going to take so much work. But you can know that all you have to do is carry the message. You don't have to carry the alcoholic. And you can tell them the gospel, what Jesus done for them, that he gave his life for theirs. And if you need, and if they need somewhere to go, you can get it. You can talk to Andy or Kurt, and they can give you my number, and they can come to Core. We can help them. We know a way out. Um, so don't be afraid to reach out to those broken people and fill these pews up with them, because God will transform them to someone they're not today. So don't be afraid to do that. I just want to thank you for your time and listening to my testimony. And we're gonna. Uh, Andy wants me to read. Mark chapter 5, 18 through 20, says, And when he come into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed, with, prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and hath had compassion on me. And he departed and began to publish at, in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. And all men did marvel. Well, thank you, Nick, just for being so open with what God's done in your life and just the ministry that you're carrying on over there. And thank you to everybody else who has just been a part of this series, sharing your story, super appreciate it, just being willingness to be open and vulnerable and just uh, having that testimony of how God has worked in your life. And um, so truly, thank you. Um, if you'll join me, we'll go ahead and open up with a word of prayer. So Father God, we come before you this morning and I thank you for Brother Nick. And God, just uh, the, the work that you have done in his life, and God, even how you have taken something that so many people probably want to hide from, and God, he's shining light on it now to show who you are and the, the glory that you deserve through it, that he has a transformed life, and that he is now going and sharing that with people. God, I just pray that as we now open up your word and as we um, just get to see how you have worked and how you are continuing to work, God, may we see you through it all. And may we just entrust our lives over to you more. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So have you ever found yourself in a situation kind of like Nick's? And maybe it's not to that extreme where it's like, no, I've, I've never used and I've never truly been addicted to anything, but you find yourself in that struggle where it's like, man, I, I, I don't know why I keep doing this. I, I want to stop. I keep going in. I keep giving in to the same thing over and over. You have that struggle, that addiction, that lifestyle, that habit or that attitude, that thing that just has its grip on you that you feel like you cannot get out from underneath it. That's kind of what Nick had. That's probably what each one of us can be like, yeah, there's that one thing in my life. We all use it as that word I struggle with. You know, it's, it's usually preceded by the words, I'm not perfect, I struggle with. And we use it to downplay, but it is really that thing that grips us. I'm not perfect. I struggle with anger. I'm not perfect. I struggle with unforgiveness. I struggle with lust. I struggle with pride. I struggle with self con uh, self self uh, confidence. That's the word. <laughs> I struggle with words. You know. Um, but it's like there's that thing that we struggle with that we all know that we have. And we keep going into that rut over and over. And it's like, you know what, I'm just going to try harder. And so we kick it in four-wheel drive, and it's like, all right, here we go. I'm going to get unstuck. But the rut just digs deeper and deeper. And so it's like, all right, I'm going to work a little bit harder. I'll crank it in reverse, and then I'll slam it in drive just to sink more. And we find ourselves in this repetitive cycle of just getting more and more stuck in our sin. Whatever it is, addiction, habits, attitude, whatever it is, we have that constant struggle. 
And that's what we're looking at today as we finish this series on sharing your story, where we're just looking at people who have been transformed by Jesus, and then they go and they do that, just like Nick's doing. They take what Jesus has done in their life, and they are like, hey, he transformed me, I have to go tell people. And so we're going to be in Mark chapter 5 this morning. As we are going to see the story of a man who was hopeless, he was desperate, he had tried everything, he had been bound, he had been shackled, and it was like there is no way out for him. And then he has this encounter with Jesus. So Nick read to us the ending of the story. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 5, and we're going to read the first five verses real quick. And they'll be on the screen, but I, I hope that if you have your Bible, you open it up. And you can see the words of God in front of you and take notes if you want, because I love this passage. So it says that they, this being Jesus and the disciples, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. You see, we get one of the most detailed pictures of demon possession here. And we see the state of a man who is just utterly hopeless. We see that he has been expelled from his home. It says that he has been living among the tombs, living among the mountains. Luke tells us that he's not living in the village anymore where he was from. We're told that he is, he, they, they've attempted to like bind him because he's running wild. But every time they bind him with chains, the demon in him just is so strong that it breaks loose from the chains. And that night and day, he cries out and he's cutting himself. He's looking for relief anywhere he can find it. But it's not coming to him. And, and Luke even tells us not only that, but in Luke 8, 27, it says that for a long time, he's run around with no clothes on. Like to add to his humiliation, he is running around naked. He's running around demon-possessed. He's running around isolated from his family, isolated from his friends. And he, he just has one thing stacked on top of another. No matter how hard he tries, no matter how hard somebody else tries, he constantly is breaking free from it. And, and the thing is, we don't know what got this man to this point. You know, a lot of times as Christians, it's like, well, what did you do to get here? You know, why are you caught in this vicious cycle? And we're not told that with this man. We don't know if he started messing with the occult and started dealing with Ouija boards and so a demon came upon him. We don't know if he was just walking by one day and moment of weakness, he was overcome by a demon. All we know is his current position. His current position is hopeless, that he literally has no hope. Everything that they have tried up to this point has completely failed. And the thing is, we can relate to this man. That so many times, as, as Nick gave testimony to, I tried on my own power. I knew what God's will was, but I tried on my own power to overcome it, and I, I turned out weak every single time. I could not help myself. This man, time and time again, he might have been telling them even, hey, chain me up because I need to be bound because if you let me run free, who knows what I'll do. And every single time he'd get chained up, he would break free from the chains. And it's like, yeah, but we don't have a demon in us. And it's like, yeah, you may not have a demon, but just as this man was a slave to the demon, we too are slaves to something. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 6, verse 16, he says, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to, to righteousness? And so you are a slave to something. Jesus, he goes on to say in John chapter 8, verse 34, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And so we may not have literal demons in us, but we're all, quote unquote, fighting our demons 
battling our demons. And we, we have those vices in us, those things that, you know, Satan, we're told, he likes to set snares for us. And so he knows what it is that all I have to do. I've studied them, and I know this is their weakness. Not enough sleep, and their mind starts to wander. And it goes down some dark, deep paths. Get them on the phone late at night and they start seeing things and it runs them down this rabbit trail that they're fighting. And they're like, how in the world did I get here? Have that person cut them off on the way to church? Oh boy, they're going to use some colorful language all of a sudden. Tell them who's really number one. We all have those things, whatever it is, I may not even mention it. We have those things in our lives that control us. Substances, attitudes, languages, images. Mindsets, whatever it is, that's that thing that we are like, I said I would never be here again, and here I am again. Paul knew exactly what it was like in Romans chapter 7, where he is saying in verse 15, he's like, you know what? I know the thing that I want to do. He says, I do not understand my own actions. This is Paul post-encounter with Jesus. And he's saying, I still don't understand why I'm doing what I do. He said, I do not do what I want, but the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do not do what now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I mean, Paul is just like the struggle is real. The struggle that every Christian goes through where it's like, I know I'm saved. I know I should not live like this, but I know that my body is being torn from this and is fighting to go that way. What do I do? And so there's so many similarities between this demon-possessed man and, and the sin that resides in every single human being. I mean, for example, we were told in the demon-possessed man that for a long time he's been bound. That he has constantly had this demon in him. For night and day, he has been crying out in the tombs. And Paul, he says in Romans chapter 7, verse 23, he says, I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. It's like for this long time, I've been struggling with my attitude and I've been hoping my attitude gets better. And I keep saying, just, just don't get angry. And then that one fuse gets lit and I blow up. We struggle with it for a long time. This man, he lived in the tombs. He lived among the dead. He was living like a subhuman being. And so often we too are doing things that we say we never want to do, but we constantly go against them. It's like, I know I'm called to be holy, God, but I keep living in the flesh. Paul says that flesh and the spirit are at war within me. He said that in verse 17, I'm doing the thing I do not want to do, but I keep doing the very thing that I hate. I'm living like a non-Christian. I'm, I'm struggling with this, this carnality, this flesh inside of me i mean we know what that is like this man he lived in tombs he lived among the dead of the world paul tells us that in ephesians 2 verse 3 we like the rest of mankind were by nature children of wrath that we were dead in the spirit that we were carrying out the desires of the body and the mind that we too were dead in our transgressions. We were living among the dead. And then we see again in the demon-possessed man that the demon was strong within him. That they would try and chain him up, could not. It's like, hey, I'm going to read a self-help book. I'm going to make plans. I'm going to apply goals to be a better person. Everybody set, well, maybe not everybody. I have set multiple New Year's resolutions and they have never seen it past the month of January. And it's like, I'll just try better next year just to fail that much quicker. And so it's like, we're gonna work at it. 
And Paul, he says in Romans 7, 24, he's like, what a wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Because he's like, you know what? I've tried and it's failed. The psalmist says in Psalm 120, 121, verse 1, he says, I will lift my eyes up to the hills. From whom does my help come from? Who's going to help me here? Because I've read self-help books. I've gone to see the worldly answers and they're not helping me. Every time I try and better myself, it does not work. The man was uncontrollable, and we realized, I can't control this on my own. The harder I try, the harder I fall. And so then he encounters the one who can truly help him. Verse 6, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. I mean, imagine being in this moment. Imagine being one of Jesus' disciples here, where you're going across, and right before this, Jesus calms a storm. And so then you arrive on land, and all of a sudden, this man, naked, running full speed at you, crying out in a demonic voice, I'd be getting a little scared. It's like, man, can we like bank somewhere else? Let's hop back in the boat and go. Like this dude is crazy. I mean, it looks like he's about to overcome you. And all of a sudden he drops down right in front of you. And he starts screaming out Jesus' name in that demonic voice. And he's like, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Now there's a superstition at this time that if you're trying to overpower demonic forces, you learn their name and you use it against them. And notice this demon knows Jesus' name. He is trying to gain control over Jesus. He's like, Jesus, not only Jesus, son of the most high God, I'm gonna use your entire name in front of you to know who you are so that I can gain power over you. And so then Jesus is like, hey, what's your name? Like, you know me, who are you? And then he says, we are many. Our name is Legion which a legion was over 6,000 people. And we're actually told that the demons rushed into a herd of 2,000 pigs. So I don't know how many, there's a ton of demons here. So if we could step into the supernatural for a moment and see this, imagine the image. You have Jesus against thousands of demons, dark forces. And they're calling out Jesus' full name and they're trying to gain an edge over him. And from the perspective of it, it looks grim. It looks like Jesus has no way of winning. But Jesus tells us in John 16, he tells us that in this world you have trouble, but he says, take heart, I have overcome the world. He says in 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And right here, we get a glimpse of that. That, yeah, there's one Jesus, and there might be 2,000, 6,000. For all I care, there could be a trillion demons facing off against him. And the odds are in Jesus' favor. And so Jesus goes to battle with them. And it's not even a battle, because notice their posture. It says they beg Jesus. They realize, oh, we are many, but we don't stand a chance against you. You are all powerful. So God, Jesus, instead of sending us into the eternal abyss, which will happen one day, can you send us into the pigs? And so they do. He, sent, he gives them permission to go into the pigs, and the pigs run into the sea. And then we pick it up in verse 14. It says that the herdsmen fled, and they told it in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. 
And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. You get a real quick glimpse, again, of the state of humanity in the townspeople. Because look at this scenario. You have this guy who for a long time has been living in the tombs, has been cutting himself, crying out night and day, breaking chains. He's uncontrollable, but they can live with that. They're like, you know what? He's not really hurting our economy. But then Jesus takes the demons and says, go into the pigs, which was their way of making money. And all the pigs drown. And suddenly they're like, hold up. We could handle the demon. You just messed up our lifestyle. Will you please leave us now? We can't handle that. How many people, whenever you share the gospel and you're like, hey, Jesus wants to transform your life. He wants to take you from being dead to alive and he wants to make you new. And it's like, wait a minute, does that mean that I have to give up my social circle? I don't know if he's worth that. Does that, does that mean that I have to give up this? Because actually, this is pretty miserable, but it's what I'm comfortable in. It's what I know. I don't really want to make that sacrifice. You see, Jesus had just done an amazing work in the demon-possessed man's life. But everybody around was like, no, we don't want that. Jesus, you need to go because we can't handle this. Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 9 where people are going to come to him and he's going to say, follow me. And they're going to be like, uh, can we do this stuff first? It says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And so Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds ha of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But the man said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. You know, it's those that are like, hey, I want to follow Jesus, but can I hold on to this as well? Does Jesus really want everything from me? Or can I just give him 90%? Can I keep this part? And Jesus is like, no, I, I want all of you. So they ask the man to leave, but we're left, or we, they ask Jesus to leave, but we're left with the man who comes to Jesus. And in verse 18, Nick read this. It says, Jesus obliged them, and he's getting in the boat. And the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. I mean, here this man is just transformed completely. And he's like, Jesus, can I come with you? Let me follow you. Let me be one of your disciples. That's why Jesus came, right? To get people to follow him. But notice Jesus's response. It's so interesting here. That here we have had people begging Jesus. We, we see first off that the demons beg Jesus. Let us go into the pigs. Do not send us into the abyss. And Jesus permitted that to happen. And then we have the same word for the townspeople, begging Jesus to leave them. And Jesus permits that to happen. And then here we have this man begging, same word, to follow Jesus. And notice what Jesus says. He did not permit him. Verse 19, he did not permit him, but he said, go. You know what? No, don't follow me because I have a plan for you. What just happened serves for a purpose. You being a demon-possessed man had a purpose for you to go to your home, to your friends, and share what God has done in you. He told him to go and share who Jesus was. Jesus did not reject him for no reason. He rejected him to go. He didn't even reject him. He did not permit him to come because he had a greater purpose. Don't follow me. You are going to now go and be my witness. Romans chapter 7. 
Jesus came to set us free from bodies of wrath. He freed this man from his demon possession. Paul said in verse 24, what a wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he said in verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He said, so then I serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. And then he said, Paul, in verse 4 through 8 of Ephesians 2, when we were dead in our transgressions, but thanks be to God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. And then as David said in Psalm 121, verse 1, where does my help come from? He answers that for us in verse 2. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And then Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, to go and proclaim the excellencies of God. That's what this, this demon-possessed man was told to do to go and share. You were tormented, you were captive, but I set you free. Go and proclaim that. That's what he's saying to you today, to go and proclaim who Jesus is. The struggles that you've had in the past, we try and hide those all the time. Man, I don't want anybody to know what I'm struggling with. I love the way Nick opened up. I'm an alcoholic. You know what? It's like so many people would be like, um, they don't need to know that part. And Nick's like, nah, that's, that's my story. Because that's who I was so that I can tell who I am now. I'm a child of God. And so I'm a struggling uh, addict to pornography. I'm a struggling addict to pride. I'm a struggling addict to whatever it is that we are controlled by. But it's not how I'm identified. My identity is in Christ. And so that's where I'm going to go and share that this is who I was, but it's not who I am anymore. That we share our stories, that every single one of us through each one of these has a story to tell. That we were blind, but now we see because of the grace of God. That we had a past that we wanted to hide, but God told us everything about us. And so now we go and tell people what Jesus has done, that we were self-righteous, that we were like Paul where we thought, hey, you know what? I became a Christian and then I did it on my own. And it's like, no, I am still today saved by grace. And then that I had these demons in my past that I'm not going to hide, but I'm going to shine light on because there are other people who are struggling with the same thing. And I'm going to say, I struggled with that. God set me free. And he wants to set you free too. Our story should not be something that we hide, but that we share, that we let the whole world know because that's what this man did. He went and he shared it because in verse 20, it says that he went and proclaimed to the townspeople. It says he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. 1 Peter 2, 9 says that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into marvelous light. And then I want to close with this one thing right here. We're in verse 20. Notice the response of the people. It says he went and he proclaimed how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. You know what that word marveled is? That word marveled is the very same word that they used when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And the people marveled. It's the same word used when the people saw that Jesus brought, blind, brought sight to the blind man. It's the same word used every single time we have a response to Jesus doing a miracle and the people marvel. Hear what's happened. This man went and shared his story. 
And the people are like, man, that's a miracle of God. You know what Jesus tells us in John chapter 14, verse 12? He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. You know what the greater works that we get to do are? That we get to share what Jesus has done in our life. We get to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into the wonderful light. And the people marvel at that. You know what? He raises somebody, Lazarus, from the dead. Lazarus dies later on. He gave sight to the blind man. He got old and lost his vision later on. It failed him eventually. You know what happens when somebody gives their life over to Jesus? That is an eternal impact. And Luke chapter 15 tells us there is more rejoicing in heaven over one lost sheep that comes to Jesus than over the 99 that stay. That is the greater work that we get to be a part of. That Jesus is entrusting us. Go and proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's what we're told to do. Go and share our story. Father God, we thank you for these stories that we have in your word. Where we get to see your work. And God, that we get to see that you were at work, but just as Nick has shared with us, you are still working today in even greater ways. Because as Paul tells us, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You're not taking broken things. You're taking dead things and making them alive. And so, God, we just thank you for that. And I pray for everybody who has been made alive in you that we go and proclaim that to our families, to our friends, to our neighborhoods. And then, God, I pray for those who are still struggling, that you just come into our lives so that we can find the freedom in you. God, that we can surrender everything over to you. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.